This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Coronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. All right, welcome back everyone to Coronial. I'm Georgie. I'm Emma. And I'm Alice. All right, so this week I am going to tell you about the death of Mr. Sean McBride, who passed away in 2011. And because I found this while we're looking up the workplace ones, uh, it's another workplace accident, so is everyone. Nice. Does it involve snakes? No snakes. He's over water, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Mr. Sean McBride was a 28-year-old Irish man who'd been sponsored by his employer to travel to Australia to work as a scaffolder. So, this case, the coroner detailed a little bit about Mr. McBride, but mainly about his love for scaffolding, which do you think if he hadn't have died in his workplace accident while scaffolding, that that would have been something that would have been highly remembered for? No. Probably (laughs) not. I don't think so, no. Yeah. And so, it was one of those ones where I'm like, if I were to die in a workplace accident, please feel free to mention that I enjoy work-life balance and <laughs> particularly not working. Yeah, You, you prefer <laughs> the, the life, life part. Yeah. The life part. <laughs> anyway, so it was mentioned that he was a keen scaffolder and had previously left his civil engineering studies to pursue this career. And at the time of his death, he was licensed to perform high-risk work, including erecting and dismantling hanging scaffolding. He had also completed a number of training qualifications in Australia and his employer had assessed his competency as a scaffolder. So he's skilled in Very, what he does yes. for a living. Skilled and, and trained. And experienced and trained, yeah. So on the 4th of June 2011, it was during his work at the Rio Tinto Iron Ores Dampier Operations, located off the northwest coast of Western Australia, that he fell from a collapsing scaffolding into water and died as a result of drowning. Ooh. Oh, Okay. He was working as part of a team to dismantle a cantilever scaffold structure that had been erected under the iron ore loading jetty. So essentially it's scaffolding below the jetty. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, was it on the side of an oil rig or a boat? But no, underneath a jetty. I assume when you're mining iron ore, and I assume that this iron ore was in fact located off the coast somewhere, that the way that they were gathering it was towards the jetty, but... I don't know why the scaffolding therefore needed to be there. Were they working on it on the jetty or something? They didn't go into that any detail. Yeah, okay. There was just scaffolding there, there for scaffolding some reason. There was scaffolding erected under the jetty for purposes of mining things. Mm-hmm. Sure. Specifically iron ore. Yep. At approximately midday, part of the scaffolding structure collapsed and this caused Mr. McBride to fall under the jetty into the water. He fell approximately 4.8 metres into the water which was somewhere between 15 to 18 metres deep below the surface. Oh, wow, okay. His fall wasn't witnessed. However, others around him heard the scaffolding collapse and his hard hat was then seen floating on the water, so they all were aware that he had, in fact, fallen in. Oh, that's horrendous. Yeah. I mean, I guess they all knew he'd gone in because where he was, was was the scaffolding was no longer there either. A colleague and two nearby crew members of a commercial vessel also attempted to save him by jumping in and trying to find him, but were hampered by a lack of visibility when they jumped into the water. And I think this was both – it was a very deep 
portion of water, 15 to 18 metres deep, along with a lot of debris, turbidity, from the falling scaffolding as well. Mm. Yeah, right. If it had just been him, maybe it wouldn't have caused such a an issue. But again, also, yeah, it was so deep that the mm. visibility would have been hampered anyway, especially when they were just jumping in. Where they yeah. thought maybe he'd fallen in or... Well, but also they weren't jumping in as like scuba divers. They didn't yeah, have any right. gear on them. They didn't have... They were just hoping to goggles? find him as far down as they could go. Yeah. But obviously they're not going to be able to go down very far. Yeah. They weren't prepared to be doing a dive rescue. No. Unfortunately, his body wasn't discovered until later that evening when an underwater search was performed by police. Mm. At the time of being found on the seabed, his harness was not attached to any portion of the scaffolding. However, it did appear that during his fall, he'd attempted to shed his safety gear and clothing. So there's a thought that he could have been attached to more, but they don't know what because he had attempted to shed himself of that anyway. Right. I guess because... It's heavy. Yeah, we'll get to it's that. pulling you down. Yeah, I was going to say, so he was found on the seabed. I thought that people generally didn't sink sink to the bottom. But you do sink when you're wearing 13 kilos of yeah. gear, which we'll come yeah, to. right. Okay. Yeah, that makes Ooh. sense. Yeah. He'd not been wearing any form of personal flotation device, but had been wearing a fall arrest harness with twin combination inertia reel lanyards that were fitted with clasps referred to as safety hooks. Neither showed signs of deployment, so neither lanyard showed that he had attempted to arrest his fall. What were they attached? <laughs> but if they're attached to the scaffolding... Yes, and this is the point that we will come to. Yes, it was mm. more than likely that he'd attached to a bit of scaffolding that collapsed with him. Yep. Yep. So the coroner aimed to investigate whether the partial collapse was as a result of a fault of the scaffolding mm. and then whether... Mr. McBride knew the correct usage of the fall arrest system and whether he'd been trained appropriately in terms of workplace safety to make sure that he used the arrest system correctly so that if the scaffolding fell, he would prevent his fall, Yep, the, the system that he was using. So the scaffolding and the collapse of it. Mr. McBride, as I said, was working in a team that were dismantling the scaffolding under the jetty and that was a four-person team. And they are essentially working in like – I want to say conga line. That's not what I meant. Um, <laughs> a line where he was on the scaffolding, he was dismantling parts, he'd pass it to the person on the jetty, the yep. person on the jetty would pass it to the person slightly further down, I could pay pass about. it to the, yeah, mm. the final person who was putting it in the pile of wherever they were mm-hmm. storing everything. The scaffolding had been erected approximately one month prior to this and they were working in shift work like 20 days on, two weeks off or something like that. So. It didn't go into who specifically erected it, but it wasn't. Not necessarily him. I think the same company, but different yes. people. He was employed by Celtic Scaffolding, I think. And so it was Celtic Scaffolding that was mm. responsible, but it didn't go into whether it was specifically him that had helped put it together. Yeah. Right. The scaffold structure and walkway was required for the purpose of undertaking the East Incourse Island Wharf upgrade. There we go. That's yeah. why they needed it. They yep. were upgrading a wharf. <laughs> cool. And it was referred to as a hanging scaffolding, shocker, because it was attached to the underside of the jetty. Mm-hmm. It was, in fact, three metres tall itself and then hung approximately four to eight metres above the sea level, depending on the height of the tide at the time. Gotcha. Makes sense. Celtic scaffolding was Mr. McBride's employer and was utilising a prefabricated equipment to assemble and assemble the scaffolding, known as a rosette scaffolding system. They went into lots of detail about 
what that means and the various different parts and it all kind of went over my head. So if you want more detail about that, you, I would definitely recommend you read it yourself because I cannot give you detailed information. That's fair. Because <laughs> even reading it, I'm still like, I don't get it. <laughs> so basically scaffoldings are made up of a bunch of different parts. There's something called a rosette. There's something called a standard. There's something called a layer. One's a horizontal bit, one's a vertical bit, and one's like right. a wedge that holds it all together. Yep, right. Yeah. This rosette scaffold system is well-known and reputable. It's known to be a simple system to assemble and disassemble in that there are no clamps, nuts, or bolts. And the scaffolder only needs a hammer to assemble and disassemble Hmm. the scaffolding, with the exception of securing the scaffold to an existing structure where clamps and fixtures are used. So the initial fixation to the jetty needs a little bit extra. But outside of that, you can then scaffold it along with essentially the use of a hammer only. Mm Mm-hmm. It's quite easy to assemble. Disassembling comes with a little bit more challenging portion in that the scaffolder is required to reach underneath and swing a hammer in an upward arc with the intention of knocking out a specific wedge without the full view of that wedge when disassembling. And so when it's not hanging over something, that's fine because you can stand below and be able to see, but when it's hanging over something and you can't be standing below or fixed below, then it's harder to do. Yep. This increased the risk of them inadvertently knocking the wrong wedge, which could then precipitate a fall. And surprise, it in fact did. Did, yeah. <laughs> and so that was what was determined to be the most likely cause. It was based on both an investigation following with some expert witnesses looking into how the scaffolding could have collapsed, along with the co-workers that were working with him on the day, that whilst they didn't witness exactly what happened, they were like, he was sitting on this ledge about to do this thing and then it and collapsed. Then it wasn't so there, there anymore. For most likely, the step that caused the collapse was him hitting the wrong mm. thing. However, obviously it was looked into as to whether there could have been any other inherent defects in the scaffolding. And so one of the things that they found when they were recovering bits from the seabed was one particular clamp had a fracture to it that they thought, could this have been an inherent defect or something that occurred as a result of the fall fall. of the scaffolding? And they ultimately determined that that fracture, when they did some retesting and then applied the weight of Mr. McBride's body weight to that repeat circumstance, the same fracture occurred again in that scenario. So they went, okay, what we've seen here is more likely as a result of him accidentally hammering the wrong wedge and his body weight being on there causing that fracture than that fracture having been something that was already present and and causing the collapse. It's interesting that they like went to that length to basically retest the circumstances to They find did a out. lot of retesting. Yeah, yeah, they did a lot of like if we did this could this happen if yep. this happened, you know, looking into was there a design fault in the scaffolding yep. and that kind of thing. And then also they went into and we'll come to it in a bit a lot around how do we improve the design? Mm, that's really good. So, yeah, like very much wanting to try to prevent collapse of scaffolding again. Yeah. Immediately prior to the fall, he was witnessed to be on a ledger, which is a horizontal structure of the scaffolding, which connects to adjacent structures. And then at the process of removing a transom, which I was like, what is a transom? <laughs> it didn't give you a definition in the inquest? No, so I had to look it up. It's just a strengthening crossbar. Okay. By hammering out this transom wedge, it's how you dismantle it. Right. So, 
did the whole of the scaffolding fall down or was some of it no. still left hanging yeah. there? Yeah, so yeah. it was the structure that he was on. I assume he was reaching over to dismantle, you know, like the next adjacent bit. Yeah, but, but unfortunately the bit that he was on as well collapsed yep. with him that wasn't meant to be dismantled. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, as I said, there was no defects found in the scaffolding. And so after Mr. McBride's death, Celtic scaffolding ultimately developed a modification to the scaffold structure with the aim of preventing a scaffolder from inadvertently knocking out the wrong wedge, especially on a critical brace of a cantilevered scaffold. And so ultimately the coroner was like, this is pretty good, this is great, I'm happy that you've attempted to come up with a fix, so there's not really much else I'd recommend here. However, the coroner did sort of put in there the caveat that some of the independent witnesses that were experts in scaffolding and engineering were critical of the new design with concerns that it just shifted the risk. So basically it was all about him hammering out this wedge section that he shouldn't have so they'd put some pins into other sections to prevent that that Mm -hmm. then made the need to like unlock that pin as – an extra step in there that could just create further issues of one dropping the pins into the abyss. Yep, which, which could becomes mean a problem. Humans below. If they're doing it over water, if you drop it, it's gone forever. Yeah, and so it's just like that inconvenience of like, well, then you're missing a component of the scaffolding yeah. that is needed for further. Then you have to rely on getting it replaced before you can do anything else and all that kind of stuff. Just keep using it without that pin, in which case there's no. There's point. a risk that you're not doing it correctly again. Yep. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And adding that extra step in does that, you know, lengthen the amount of time, create other risks, create other issues with the way that it was set up. Mm. And so ultimately, whilst, yeah, they looked at redesigns and alternate options, there didn't necessarily appear to be a simple fix to improving it. So then the next main point that those independent witnesses were like, well, do we need to fix the design or should we just make sure that people don't fall when it collapses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like harness them from higher up. Harness them into something that's not going to collapse. That's not attached to the scaffold. Yes, harness them to yeah. the solid object you're attaching the scaffolding yeah, to. Yeah, but easier said than done because mm. the fall arrest inertia lanyards or something. Anyway, the Fail. Fall, fall, arrest, yeah, <laughs> fall arrest system. It's only going to have so much length. Yes. So the other thing is if it's three-metre high scaffolding, mm. you then need that three-metre lanyard plus minus any kind of di- diagonal movement to get all the way back to the jetty. So you yes. can't be having that kind of length. So you can't always guarantee that you can be attached to the jetty. Yep. So he was looking at making sure that he knew all of that. Prior to commencing the dismantling of the scaffolding, the team conducted a job hazard analysis, and this was standard every time that they started work to dismantle or – erecting of the scaffolding, where they went through basic safety checklist. And this checklist did stipulate that they needed a 100% hook-on. And this references the procedure for attaching to a fixed point on the scaffolding to arrest a fall. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of having twin lanyards meant that they were able to maintain a 100% attachment mm-hmm. when moving around because they could be attached by one and then Being detach the other, other one. Yeah. And they would always still be attached to the first point. Yeah, you don't have that moment where you're unhooked yeah. from one and you're about to hook onto the next one. Yeah, and that was the whole point of having two. Mm. So based on evidence provided by the three other members there, they all understood that procedure, they all understood how to hook on appropriately, and they all suggested that Mr. McBride himself also knew that based on his experience and their work with him. 
And because he was such a passionate scaffolder. Yes, and that. <laughs> and that obviously means that... He knew everything about scaffolding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They each described the way that you did it and the various elements that you hooked onto slightly differently and different ways that they may do it based on what worked for them. Mm. So it's still, even though there's clearly a procedure as per their work instruction, didn't necessarily mean that everyone 100% followed that or 100% understood that. So the coroner was like, it is still got some interpretive or preference to it that Mm. people are going to use. And so he said it kind of suggested like, People may do it their own way. And so I guess that leaves that element of Mr. McBride potentially had his own preference of yeah. the way that he would do it. But that's like everything, isn't it? Like everyone has their own preference of doing things. Yeah. And like a procedure. Yeah. But the problem not is to change that. Yes and no, because I guess the procedure needs to harp on about even if you have your own preference, you need to connect to the right structure. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're not aware of your preference being incorrect Mm. that can be a problem does that make sense yeah but either way the coroner was satisfied that mr mcbride likely understood what 100 percent hook on meant that you needed to be hooked on at all times and that it was unlikely that he was not hooked on at all yeah just as we've mentioned clearly hooked onto the wrong section of the scaffolding so now expert witness did ascertain that the full arrest system hadn't been activated at all and the safety hooks were found to not have failed in any manner. Additionally, tests were carried out to ensure that the safety arrest system was suitable. So as I mentioned, like those cables needed to be an appropriate length to be hooked onto something that was a fixed structure so that you could still perform your basic Mm. duties. And so they went through and double-checked that they were 1.8-metre length cables that he could have sat and performed his function to make sure that Celtic scaffolding wasn't negligent in any way by like providing lengths that meant that they couldn't actually function to do their job yeah. Yeah. and therefore couldn't be attached to the points that were safe and so it was determined that whilst he was aware of the need to be attached at all times it was likely that he'd attached to inappropriate locations that in fact collapsed with him and therefore he was hooked to portions that meant that he didn't remain fixed to the scaffolding at the time of the collapse or fixed to the jetty or something that didn't collapse with him. And there were several different places that you could have attached yourself to. One of the main things that they should have been attached to was Rosette standard, and he clearly wasn't. Mm -hmm. It couldn't then also be determined whether during his fall he'd managed to detach himself. But again, clearly it was he would be detaching himself from a portion that was already falling anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which would have been quite difficult. I can imagine you're falling, you've realised you're falling. Yeah. A whole bunch of scaffolding coming with you. Yeah. But I guess the not being weighed down. So he clearly would have yes. wanted to have detached yeah. himself. The other thought was as well that the hooks could have slid over bits of scaffolding once it had detached anyway. Yeah. So that potentially they self detached as well. Right. And like even if he did detach himself from it, he still could have been hit in the head by the falling scaffolding as it fell on yeah, top of him. like there were so many other scenarios. Yeah, in which case you're knocked unconscious. It doesn't matter if you're getting dragged to the bottom because you drown anyway. So it was determined that he didn't lose consciousness based on the fact that when he fell into the water, he was wearing his full-length overalls, his high-leg steel-capped boots mm-hmm. and laces with side zips, gloves, hard hat, tool belt with three tools attached to it, and a full body harness with two fall arrest systems that amounted to an extra 12.3 kilos worth mm-hmm. of weight above his body weight. Yeah. Wow. 
That's a lot of stuff to be wearing. All of these obviously create a negative buoyancy once immersed in water, so they're dragging you down. So as you mentioned, you know, wouldn't a human body eventually come back up? No, because he was wearing all of this gear. Yeah, and like if he'd had maybe one of those things, he might have been able to free himself from it. Like you're wearing steel cap boots, but that's it, and you're wearing normal clothes. Yeah. You then might, you might have been side zips. You better reach down and yeah, kick those off. But everything, yeah, it's just so, too so, much stuff. So he was found without his tool belt mm-hmm. and two of the hand tools. He unzipped one of his shoes, mm-hmm. but hadn't managed to get either of them off. And he appeared to be trying to remove the full body harness because the leg sections were unclipped, but the mm-hmm. shoulder and the top half were still attached to him. So that evidence that he was conscious and was trying to remove the items yeah. as he was sinking. That's horrendous. And hence to try to escape the gear. So hence why they said there's a potential he could have detached himself from the fall arrests of the scaffolding and stuff yep. like that. Or they could have slid off unclear as to that bit. Yeah, and I guess because it's 15 metres deep, that's a long way to be falling, even if he'd managed to free himself at the bottom of that To then swim back up. To be able to get back yeah. up. And so the coroner said, with all this weight, it would have been unlikely that he would have been able to shed all the gear and successfully make it back to the top anyway. Yeah. So then the coroner went on to say, well, if he'd been wearing a personal flotation device, would that have given him buoyancy to help bring him back to the surface despite the extra weight added onto him? Mm. And so the coroner sought to assess whether these should be recommended. At the time, it wasn't industry standard to be wearing a personal flotation device when working over water, and there was no specific legislation or regulation that required scaffolders to wear personal flotation devices, or I'm going to refer to them as PFDs from now on when working over water at a mine site. And this is because mine sites are regulated by the Mine Safety Act versus in comparison there is an Occupational Safety and Health Regulations Act, 1996, but didn't apply to him in this work environment because he was at a mine. But that regulation does address wearing a PFD if a person's working alone over water or other liquid. And I was like, (laughs) what other liquid are you working over? Over lava. Don't think the personal flotation is going to help there. Big vat of soup. Over a sewer, maybe? Like a big sewerage facility? It's liquid. (laughs) Anyway, so yes, but only alone. It doesn't say... um, So he he wasn't working alone. So does that define that he doesn't need one? But even if his co-workers had responsibility on the second person. (laughs) But also that they're going to be able to jump in, reach you, bring you back up when you're that way down. Yeah. I agree. Like that seems a bit yeah, silly. No, the fact that there was I think that legislation's a bit faulty. Done anything? No, exactly. But again, didn't apply to him anyway because he was working out of mine. Yeah. So then the coroner looked into what options are there because yeah, he's wearing thirteen kilos of extra gear. You also need a personal flotation device that doesn't get in the way of said gear because yes. you still need to be able to function and do your work. It has enough flotation to be able to counteract exactly that all of that. So it didn't go into a lot and there was even a line in there of like, and it's not my role to detail every personal flotation device that exists on the market. And I was like, but I'm really enjoying this in terms of you describing. There's a whole bunch of different ones, including the ones you get on the airplane where you pull the ripcord and it inflates. So it's not like he's sitting there doing his work with like a standard boat. Yeah, with the really like puffy one. Yeah, Yeah, that's already like buoyant. So there do appear to be both... Ones that you can use the rip cords or ones that self-inflate on hitting the water, they're triggered by the change in hydrostatic pressure of being 
in air versus in going water. into water. That's really cool. But then there's also harnesses that exist that are buoyant harnesses. Oh, so right. basically he could still be using his fall arrest harness, but it had a buoyancy portion. Instead of dragging him down, it would keep him up. up. And it turns out you can also get ones that are designed to keep you upright. So they also flip you the right way, oh. allegedly. Don't know the mechanics okay, of that. That's very cool. Yeah, I was like so impressed. I was like, no, please mm. detail more. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. <laughs> And so he then went through with all the individuals providing evidence in the inquest, both the colleagues that were working with him on the day along with some of the expert witnesses and said, well, you know, how would this actually practically work Mm. in the environment? And so for the most part, they were positive about the idea of using personal flotation devices when working over water. And many of the colleagues that had been with Mr. McBride on the day actually subsequently did now. Yes, good idea. And they talked about some of the risks being that you could accidentally damage one whilst working because your tools might have sharp edges and stuff like that. And so if you then puncture your personal flotation device, it makes it a little less useful. Mm-hmm. Yep. One describes that he worked with a colleague subsequently who'd accidentally pulled the ripcord whilst working oh. in the, you know, on the scaffold. Yep. So just self-inflated while he wasn't in the water. Oopsies. Which and could that, that then, could be dangerous. Yeah, that could then knock you off. Yeah. And then just the bulkiness of it. So they were talking about, you know, they wouldn't want to be wearing something that was hampering or interfering with their actual ability to do their job because then it defeats it. And then one of the independent witnesses made the fair point of, shouldn't we just be focusing on making sure people don't fall in the first place and that their fall arrest harness works works so that they're not needing a personal flotation device. So obviously there's a number of steps that you'd have to get to before you even Mm. need the personal flotation device. Mm. But ultimately the coroner did suggest that there should be some changes in terms of including personal flotation devices in this kind of industry. So a few weeks after Mr. McBride's death, the Mine Safety Significant Incident Report was issued. It was unclear whether this was specific to his death because it only came out a few weeks later, which I think seems very short. short. So I wonder if this was already in production. And that detailed an expectation that scaffolders should wear a personal flotation device when working over water, as well as a full injury prevention system. Additionally, one year later, Rio Tinto, the mine site that he was working for, even though he was employed by Celtic, provided written procedure about workers requiring the wearing of personal flotation device if they were working over water. And so it wasn't specific to scaffolding alone. It was okay. if anyone's working Generally. over water. This... Work procedure also referenced a number of different steps that were relevant to Mr. Bride's death, such as making sure that two personnel are within sight and sound of the person who's at risk of falling over water. So making sure that there's more sort of eyes on the people because his event wasn't witnessed, that there's an access to a rescue boat for workers who are working over water, that there's a life ring available within 25 metres of the work location, that they consider environmental factors prior to commencing work, which they didn't go into what the weather was like on the day, but I guess making sure that you're not working when there's high winds or water swells. Or even just rain yeah. makes it slippery if the rain was coming sideways. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't even think about that of like, yeah, how much more dangerous it could be mm. should there not be appropriate conditions. And then the, the retractable lanyards that are used have suitable overhead anchors and at no time – shall a person be connected to the scaffold bay that's being built or dismantled. Yeah, which makes sense. You know, presumably that was ideally meant to be happening mm. anyway. Yeah, before that, yeah. But I did really like that it's all like now very specific. But again, some of this stuff, it's like 
in Mr. McBride's situation, a rescue boat probably wouldn't have been that helpful. No. A life ring was definitely not helpful. No. Because he was already sunk. Yeah, someone seeing so, him fall, also not that helpful because they heard it anyway. They yeah, realised something had happened. And even if they'd seen it, what would have changed, yeah. But they've definitely made active steps towards improving safety, so I really appreciate yeah. that. So out of this whole inquest, the only recommendation that the coroner actually ended up needing to make or did make was with regards to updating the relevant Australian standards to consider including personal flotation devices for people working over or adjacent to water or liquid. And so I guess that kind of then encompasses both the mines and the other workplaces. Mm. As I said, that those two different legislations kind of addressed. But then I did some follow-up and as of May 2018, I found a letter with regards to this recommendation and it was from the committee stating that Initially, they weren't able to update the Australian standards because they didn't think it was relevant. And then a subsequent one saying that they were producing a new report that was going to address potential inclusion and an outcome was expected by the end of 2019. So this happened in 2011 and even by the May 2018 and then a subsequent letter saying an expectation result of the end of 2019 still hadn't actually been included prior to that and then obviously we don't have access to the Australian standards to confirm whether anything's happened Mm. but given this report came out in 2017 two years later they still hadn't actually done anything about it yeah which I'm like yeah like for me I'm just like it's now eight years since the actual incident but at the same time I guess it seems like actually in industry people are already making those changes without the the relevant regulation but it's sad that it's not there to to support it or to really back up the fact that you need to be doing this yeah for those that are smaller companies that may not have necessarily been as involved or aware in the industry it would be nice to see it formally recognize that that actually is necessary so but yeah i thought it was interesting that it had never really been thought of and I, I I can see the argument of like, but if you've got something that's going to prevent your fall in the first place, why would you need it? Yes. If you think that the harness that you're wearing is going to save you from that sort of situation, well, you don't, you don't need think it. about anything else. And it's just another bulky added item. Mm. But I would want it. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I don't so think too. I'd be in that situation in the first place. <laughs> True. Yeah, with your True. love of heights. Mm. You're yeah. never going to be there anyway. No. Never going to be a scaffolder. And so, yeah, after all that, there was only really actually one recommendation because a lot of the rest was just... It was done proactively. Or unlucky event that he hit the wrong thing whilst not being attached to the right bit. Yep. And so, unfortunately, there was no obvious systematic error. It was human error. Yes. It was human error. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which you can try and prevent, but you can't always. No, you yeah. can't because... We are imperfect creatures. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like he did anything specifically. He didn't go against the regulation. He didn't – he wasn't known to not be a conscientious employee or anything like that. It was just an unfortunate series of mistakes that that led to it. Yeah. Hmm. It was an interesting one. All right. Well, uh, how should we go next time? Bye. 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 Bye.